Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You Good. survived writing the entire news section. Yeah, it was a big Actually, news. Almost literally the entire news section. Yeah. I think there's one article you didn't write. And James Norrington. How are you doing, James? I'm very well, thanks, John. Good, and you've written the cover feature this week. You've become a, a brain scientist for the week. Uh, I have, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> see how much of it my brain hasn't uh, frozen out now already. So um, an interesting uh, interesting topic to research. It's, it is fascinating. So we're going to talk about the feature with James in a minute. Let's start with, we're going to talk about some results as well because it's winding down, results mm. season, but it's still quite busy. There's a few noteworthy results in there. But let's start with the new section. Megan, you can kick us off because you've written it all. Well, Sky Fox is the big one, I think. I mean... It's interesting for Sky, it's interesting for Fox, it's interesting for politics. For shareholders, I mean, not a lot's changed. I think it was quite expected that Karen Bradley was going to be referring the deal to Ofcom again. I mean, it's not the first time that a Murdoch family-owned company has come hunting for Sky. And last time it was referred to Ofcom, this time it's been referred to Ofcom. I mean, I noticed you mentioned in the piece that the shares are uh, well below the offer price. Yeah, about 8% below the offer price. Which um, suggests to me that the market is, is wondering whether or speculating that this might not happen. Yeah, that and also a lot of people were a little bit grumpy, I think, about the offer price not being what it deserved, which doesn't explain why the share price is currently below the, uh, the offer price. But I do think quite a few shareholders, obviously they haven't had a chance to vote yet, but they will. Um, once all the regulatory process happens. But it looks it's just so far away. I mean, Fox said that um, they intend to get the deal done, done and dusted by the end of the year. But And Ofcom have only got 40 days to reach a decision. But even so, I mean, there's still so much to discuss. Yeah, 40 days, I mean, that's a, a lot shorter than the period that they, they yeah, investigated this over. Yeah, took them 15 months last time. Exactly. I think we discussed this last week. So, I mean, that would suggest that the concerns are not quite as pronounced as they were last time, right? Well, the, different, the main difference is, of course, that Fox is no longer the same company as as the company that owns um, the Times, the Sunday Times and the Sun, which was the main issue that Ofcom had with the deal last time. The fact that Sky News and all those newspapers would be owned by the same company. Those three newspapers are owned by News Corp, which is also a Murdoch-owned company, but it's not the same Murdoch-owned company. No, no, but then, well, who knows whether they look across ownership structures in that way. No, it's... I mean, it's an... It's an example which I think it would be very easy be very easy to say, no, they would have too much control over the media because they the same family. But it also would be very easily to say, easy to say, well, it's not the same company. So Sounds like work for lawyers to me. <laughs> uh, well, let's come Absolutely. back to it. Mean, I mean, generally speaking, Sky as a business, what do we think of it? Well, it, it seems to be doing extremely well, but the market is extremely difficult, which is another reason, another reason for this deal going through. I mean, Sky looking forward has got some big hurdles to overcome netflix amazon prime being the, the big ones the competition is massive mm-hmm. and sky are paying so much for their content they're billions of pounds for the premier league and it's it's just it seems crazy that they're having to pay so much to outcompete these new pay tv models so to be sort of nestled into a massive media player in the us fox has so much content it does seem like a sensible decision for Sky as a company. I mean, it doesn't mean anything to shareholders because they're not getting shares for this deal. They're getting cash. Fox, Fox could always sell that content to Sky in, in a commercial manner. Yeah. Uh, it, it not could, necessarily yeah. as part of the same company. Yeah, yeah. Netflix, yes, you're right. And, and Amazon are, are mussing on the space. But there's still a lot to be said for Sky. What's, oh, no, what, no, absolutely. What, 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 what does that have you on the shares? 
Uh, we've got them on a hold, but they were on a buy just before. I mean, there's no point in having them on anything else at the moment. Because well, it might be because if the deal goes through eight well, percent below 8%, the offer yeah. price, then then there's a little late. Yeah, you're holding them, uh, you hold them anyway. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But we're not we're not suggesting people take advantage of that that discount to the offer price then. Um, well, no, I suppose, yeah, it, it is definitely, it's definitely an argument for that. But, but if you like the company's you, shares, yeah. then you might as well buy them, because even if the offer doesn't happen, is there some value in the company anyway? But if the offer doesn't happen, that share price is going to crash, because it was such a massive premium to the price before the offer was made, um, which was another reason why a lot of investors were a little bit miffed, because even though it was a massive premium to the share price before the offer was made, it was actually a discount to its 12-month high prior to that it, it's just had a rough it had had a rough year firstly when Murdoch was made chairman I think that that raised a few hackles and then and then all this competition it, it has spent so much money on its content which mm. is undercutting profits a little always contentious Sky let's move on let's move on nothing nothing really clear comes out of this uh so far right uh let's talk some let's talk about drugs to Cassia. Tell us about the deal. Interesting deal. So Cassia was the company that had a massive disappointment six months ago. Um, with, a, with a new drug. With a new drug. Or potential new drug. Yeah. So it's allergy Im- immunology division, which was an incredibly exciting division. It was getting share- shareholders, investors really excited. It was the biggest biotech IPO in the UK in 2015, I think, 15, 14. Um, a lot of excitement, and then last year it failed a final stage clinical trial in that allergy department, and the share price completely crashed. But what management had done, which a lot of people were well, commending the management for, was they'd acquired some respiratory business to sort of prop up that high growth, high excitement allergy business, just in case it didn't come up. It was very lucky because now that that allergy business looks like it's dead in the water, they have got that respiratory division to keep them going and that has attracted the attention of AstraZeneca the UK's second biggest pharmaceutical company has come to Scassia and is going to be selling well it's sold the US commercial rights to two of its respiratory drugs it's very unusual for a massive pharmaceutical company to go come to what is a relatively small biotech company to sell its respiratory drugs I mean Astra's been doing it a lot but it's been partnering with other big companies not with little ones but Scassia is not small small it's it's not big anymore after its share price. Yeah, issues. but I mean, we, we, it's but not it's not tiny. it's not a minnow. It's not no, no, it's, not, it's a, not it's not a pure biotech no, no, dev exactly. type. Company. But it would have done had management not made these acquisitions in the respiratory division and sourced out a pretty impressive commercial platform in the US. So Sacassia is going to be selling these two drugs in the US. Um, it's going to be paying AstraZeneca royalties. But the main part of this deal is Astra's got a big chunk of shares in Sacassia, which is also interesting because it shows that, I, well, I think it shows that Astra is actually interested in Sacassia's own respiratory pipeline, which yeah, it's got a few drugs in, in the respiratory section. Respiratory is a massive, massive part of the pharmaceuticals market. Um, so much money in it. It's very competitive, but Astra is one of the biggest players in respiratory. So respiratory is interesting, I guess, because there are lots of concerns. I mean, there are lots of uh, ailments that are caused by poor air quality, for example, mm-hmm. around the world. I mean, London London is is particularly bad. Yeah, um, it's been discussed for quite quite a lot in the past week or two. Yeah, it has. Um, so so respiratory growth area. Yeah, not necessarily as fast as oncology, um, but less risky because well, clinical trials are less expensive, and it's an area where pharmaceutical companies have a little bit more knowledge already, especially trial and tested. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I think it looks like a really good deal for Circassia. 
It's interesting because Astra has been shelving off quite a lot of its drugs because it needs the cash. It's not getting cash for this one. It's getting a big chunk of Scassia shares, which I think shows a little bit of faith in a company which could end up being quite a big respiratory player. It's, I mean, it's quite a new model. I've not seen many uh, transactions like this within this space where, where a large pharma group has, has used paper mm. as part of a deal. Mm. Could this be a model that we see more and more in this, this industry? Essentially, it's interesting. If I think it's unusual... I imagine what happened was Astra wanted to get rid of a few drugs. I mean, this is pure speculation. But Circassia just didn't have the cash to, to pay for them. But, but you would expect that to be the case for many of the similar types of companies. Yeah, but many similar types of companies don't necessarily have the commercial platform that Circassia does. Um, the bigger ones do. But the smaller ones, which don't have the cash, don't necessarily have such strong commercial platforms. But we, we've, seen novel, we've seen novel transactions in the pharma space recently. It was Novartis, uh, there was like drug swaps, for example. Yeah, was it Novartis, Novartis and, and GSK. And GSK. Yeah. And yeah, and that was an interesting one as well. They swapped assets. One GSK got one part, then they set up a new combined division. Yeah, GSK's got a couple of um, joint ventures with big pharmaceutical companies. Mm. Is this just moving the deck chairs around? Mm. Or could it actually <laughs> change the way that the industry works? Um, well, I think the industry's the changing anyway um, for the better. And drugs pricing is definitely coming into that. Um, pharmaceutical companies are having to be more cautious. I mean, it's not the same market that it used to be where there was a fair amount of bribing doctors to sell your drugs and heavy marketing. I mean, it's not happening to that to the extent that it used to be because the industry's getting better regulated. It, yeah, d- deals like this. There is an interesting way of sort of bringing new products to market in the cheapest and most efficient way rather than just making the most amount of money for one company. Yeah, I mean, actually, on, on the subject of kind of innovation in, in pharma, I noticed Max Sites this week, which I, I noticed you didn't write, but, but I've... No, well, I didn't I write it. You know the company. I do. <laughs> yeah. but, but, I mean, this is this is interesting. A small company with something that's novel that can help larger companies accelerate time to market for their for their products, which is a, obviously a big thing in yeah. pharma. So, I mean, I, I, Max is a really is interesting company. Um, I yeah, it's really um, it's really unusual because it has this platform, which it it's it's a very exciting biotech platform. Which is then it's sort of um, putting its products out for hire for big pharmaceutical companies which they can use so that it's it's um it's all to do with gene editing mm. um so it's gene lines which they are selling to big pharmaceutical companies which the pharmaceutical companies can use to develop their drugs quicker and it's happening it's Maxlight isn't the first to be doing this horizon discovery is, new, is another uk listed company which is doing a very similar thing and oxford biomedica which results were also whose results were also this week which we're not quite so positive on however i were not positive on oxford biomedica but they do have similar it's a, it's not the same um technically the same kind of platform but it's a similar business model in that their their platform's being used by Novartis and Novartis is using that in developing its oncology new oncology drugs it's, it's almost as though it's the picks and shovels argument of the pharmaceuticals industry yeah. which we haven't really seen before no. uh, in a listed sense but uh, no but I suppose it all comes down to the pure science and the fact that there is so much innovation at the moment and it's these small really fast moving companies which are making the greatest leaps but they just don't have the money to sit through and well, do, the do, big pharmaceutical companies are taking advantage of that, pay, and that's paper, great. Paper deals with big pharma, <laughs> and you know that, that gets around the cash problem. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, maybe we'll see more of this. So let's move on to another story you've written this week, uh, Megan, uh, which is about a new IPO, mm. uh, Medica. Mm. Um, completely passed me by, of course, but that's why that's why we've got you. <laughs> um, and this is this is not this is not a drug company, is it? It's healthcare, no. but it's doing something slightly different, which is 
which is interesting in itself. It is. And actually, we were having a discussion the other day about where this company actually fits. I mean, it's listed as a healthcare company, but it could almost fall into a sports services sports company. Sports services, yeah, indeed. Because it is providing a service which is um, analysing uh, radiology scans, so x-rays, CT scans, um, remotely. So it has this sort of big group of radiologists and the scans are from are sent from the hospitals to the radiologists uh, who analyse them quickly, efficiently, using this software platform that they have. And then they're sent back to the hospital. And what Medicare says they do is take out a lot of the costs from that hospital, um, which is really interesting at a time when so many UK hospitals, the NHS, is really struggling for time and money. Indeed. Now, there is an obvious angle to draw from this. That this is an example of a company that is uh, one of is an example of the private sector encroaching into the NHS, which which so many uh, people are, are somewhat fearful of. But this sounds like yes. it's a kind of good thing. Something needs to change in the NHS. And if looking to outsourcing is the way to do that, I mean, something's got it. The NHS, which was founded however many years ago, the population is so different now. The UK population is so different now. And it's really struggling to cope with all the ageing population, the amount of chronic diseases we have. And taking costs out of the NHS doesn't mean that it's not still a free healthcare service. I mean, I think everyone is of the same opinion that we need to keep um, keep that service alive. But, yeah, we have seen more people turn to private providers. I mean, we, um, Spire is, the, is one of the UK-listed private hospital providers and they've had so many more people they've seen so many pe- more people opting to pay themselves because they don't want to wait in the NHS queues that's yeah it's another another place where private providers are helping out but also benefiting from um emis um is another company which is trying to take costs out of the NHS um, and they've had their results recently as well um but they have struggled a little bit because the NHS has stopped looking to outsource as much because they just don't have the money um to pay for the the ex- the technology platforms that emis is providing um but once that hurdle's overcome these providers emis and medica could be in an incredible position to benefit because they are providing a service which should help everyone out i mean i guess there is there is the problem that people who were previously employed by the nhs find themselves moving into the into the private yeah. sector yeah, uh, and there's always going to be some tension there. Yeah, definitely. But but actually, these these kind of companies like Medica are, are an example of perhaps how the NHS could be uh, helped by the private yeah. sector. Yeah, and and yeah, and in doing so, and uh, that's why I sort of uh, I I've been quite positive do about. We, we like it, do we? I we yeah, like I think we are, I've initiated coverage with a speculative buy because I do think they there's an awful lot of room to grow in this helping the NHS out and it's the leader in the marketplace for radiology it's a massive thing we're not going to stop scanning people so it's been around a while this um, company has it it has yeah um so this is not some you know set up to take uh, advantage <laughs> of the current pressures it, no, it, it's this an, is it's actually an, I don't know why actually they've listed right now it's interesting that would be because they probably expi- they want the, the capital to yeah. to expand the business yeah probably Okay, right, we will talk about it very briefly, very briefly, because we have talked about it on this podcast before. I feel vindicated. Uh, I'm sure Flo- you do. Flow Group, uh, <laughs> it's the innovative uh, boiler company. Your boiler uh, generates electricity, sells it back to the grid. Your boiler costs you nothing. I was always very sceptical of this idea, and, and, and it does seem to be the case that things have not gone as smoothly for them as, as the kind of whole narrative of, uh, of, of efficiency in, You're uh, so in energy. You're so I'm not chuffed. I don't want him to fail, but 
but you know, as an investor, you've got to be sceptical sometimes. Yeah. The, the story being told is one that uh, that lacks plausibility in some respects. Yeah, so I think some scepticism here was was well placed. I mean, they have, have had a really, really bad year, um, which has culminated in them trying to sell the good bit of the business for the business which is doing well um so i never paid any attention to this bit of the business no but it was doing well it was so the bit of business we're talking about is the energy part where they they sell and provide energy so to, just like an alternative energy supply yes, no, so yeah, supply it's, a, it's to, a challenger energy yeah. um company and it has been attracting a lot of new customers i mean the market's been quite exciting for challenger energy energy um suppliers so it has been doing well but the share price has been so hammered by the boiler part of the of the business. Um, this boiler that pays for itself cannot pay for itself anymore. Yeah, that's a kind of small problem when you're trying to market it, a boiler yeah. as a boiler. The marketing strategy itself. has completely gone out of the window. Um, but um, so, they, yeah, they're going to try and rescue that boiler part by selling the energy part. So the share price had a great week this week because Arden Partners, which is their house broker, put out a note putting a £81 million valuation on the energy part of the business. Now, Flow Group's a £20 million Sorry, has somebody company. agreed to buy this then? Or is it... They uh, have they just put it got someone who... No, so they've got someone... They've got a potential buyer. Apparently, they had a lot of offers. So what happened, apparently, is they were trying to rescue the um, boiler part and they were thinking of selling the boiler part. But while they were trying to sell the boiler part, apparently, they were getting a lot of offers for the energy part. Not surprising. It's a good part of the business. So they've decided to try and sell that. And £81 million, that's four times the value of the whole company mm. um it would sort out their immediate cash problems but it doesn't necessarily sort out the um the boiler part which they are now trying to roll out in europe which apparently has much more generous um regulations for this kind of thing oh yeah and that and that's that's largely been what's what's scuppered their plans yes, that, it has that been the, U- the uk's uh feeding tariffs of regime has has been, capped, has, been yeah. has been uh has moved against them yes it has moved against them but yeah like you say i mean it was something that they couldn't couldn't have foreseen but mm. it has it has hit them hard political risk on small technology that sounds like two things that i would avoid like the plague yeah uh, and my skepticism dial is still still up there yeah the, i mean the skepticism dial, but in defense of the company um it could for the um non-skeptics view um they the, op- could... the optimist <laughs> oh you're leading us nicely into the next segment of this podcast absolutely um <laughs> <laughs> is to say that Having sorted out the cash problems, there could be a great market. We need more energy-efficient boilers. Yeah, okay, we do. We have them. We have great boilers. They come from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're now going to be this, taking this our is boilers my to point. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, and yes, as I su- as I suggested, there uh, optimism is something that is very much at the heart of what you talk about in your your cover feature, James. So this feature is about the brain. Yes, and. Uh, and things that are actually happening. So we talk a lot about investor psychology, which is kind of the the kind of outward effect of of what's actually going on inside your brain. Well, behavioural finance is is nothing new, and we've been covering that for for many years in the magazine. But actually, behavioural finance is is rooted in the workings of the brain. Uh, what goes on when we make an investment decision? Um, we are we are welding our our, our cognitive biases. To, to the narratives that, that we're hearing in the markets in the outside world and we're making a decision on that basis. Um, what neuroscientists are doing is, is they are they by using um, experiments where they're, they're stimulating responses in individuals and then mapping which bits of their brain light up, 
they're, they're able to tell us, they're able to show us very interestingly that actually the emotional part of our brain as well as the thinking part of our brain is still Im- involved in, 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 in investment decision making. Okay, so we like to think that we are, when we are investing, we are making very rational decisions based on a lot of research and, uh, and uh, in, you know, intelligence that we have uh, and knowledge of how investment works. Um, but actually what we have to be careful of is that, that we're not being led by the emotional part of our brain. Well, the emotional part of our brain, it, it lights up a lot when, when, when we are. Um, so the pleasure center of the brain lights up um, very much in anticipation of reward. Um, so it would in, in, you know, the eye in reward for, for food, for drugs, for sex. Um, you know, the, the, the brain, the brain lights up and it's the same with investment returns. The anticipation of investment returns causes the pleasure center of our brain to light up the thinking part of our brain. Um, which is something which has evolved comparatively recently. It's what separates us from the apes. Um, that does light up as well, but but in in anticipation of, of rewards, um, we're we're seeing that the pleasure centre is is still very important. So this is I mean, we talk about risk and reward a lot when we're writing about investment, but actually this is this is a chemical thing, uh, the way we anticipate reward and and manage risk. Well, it it's it's a chemical thing, and it's different in different people. Um, uh, something known as the optimism bias, um, which Dr. Tally Sharot of, uh, of UCL um, has done a lot of research into, I spoke to for the feature, and and, and human beings have a natural a natural bent towards optimism, towards uh, looking for for a good outcome for themselves. Um, it's interesting. It's uh, that may not tally with you know, some people may have pessimism about financial markets. Um, it's been found that we are more pessimistic about outside things, about our government, about the economy. But we are optimists about ourselves. Most people f- would put themselves in a in a higher sort of decile of the global population for intelligence, uh, for example, than they actually are. And and we make uh, investments investment decisions um, expecting a better outcome and and when they go wrong then because we're optimists we we blame some other extenuous factor the you know we don't put the blame on ourselves yes something in the brain is making that happen though something in the brain is making that happen yes exactly i mean there's uh, there, there are parts of the brain that control our response to positive information and parts of our brain that control our response to negative information research has shown that that the the positive um parts of the brain um, uh, actually react far more strongly to positive information than negative parts of the brain due to, to negative information. So we have a natural bias um, that is chemical in our brains, which makes us look on the bright side. And that's evolved for all sorts of reasons. It's involved, you know, to make you talk to that attractive person on the other side of the room, you know, rather than staring at your feet in the corner so that you'll breed and, and procreate. It's there so that you'll you'll try things, so that we as human beings will, will, will try and invent things. We'll take risks. Take risks, exactly. And which obviously is very personal. To, to investing so part of your brain is encouraging you to take risks part of your brain encourages you to take risks and that is uh, well the whole systems in your brain encourage you to take risks the emotional side of your brain and the thinking side of your brain and there and those risks are what often translate in aggregate into to the, to the returns that we we have got from the stock market over many years well they they, they the the aggregate we're a, we're social apes we're a species um we uh, and the way that people behave over many years um, has has there has been a triumph of optimism, even though there has been so you know, very famous um, study on stock market returns, Dimson, Marsh, and Staunton, which we've quoted many times before. The equity risk premium 
over over the twen- the long 20th century 1900 to 2016 something uh, it's been you know it's been over uh, you know, not not much shy of 4% i think in the us so it's uh, you know the optimism has won out but that's not to mean that in that period there were two world wars and a great depression um but but basically this this evolutionary um device that human beings have to to keep trying keep striving has meant that overall people have made some good returns i mean yeah i've often thought about this because you know i i think i am naturally uh naturally cautious naturally pessimistic and i do sometimes think i've lost i've missed out on things because because actually people who have who've uh, especially in investing terms because people who, are, who see perhaps not a more optimistic future are, are going to take those risks and, and win out uh, uh whereas i'll be sitting on a very cautious investment and not going anywhere quite so fast your optimism may may sort of le- uh, manifest its, itself in other ways you know you we all make decisions we have bounded rationality um, we rely on heuristics with decision making um, and uh, perhaps you know your your the, the things have influenced you in your life uh, unless you are clinically depressed and the rest of your brain probably is functioning normally um, and, and <laughs> you are um, and and you you know you are you're you use it you but you're probably directing it um, differently and you're an optimist in the sense that you're probably saying those other people are stupid uh i'm not i'm i'm smarter than everybody else this is why i'm not investing it so so it works in 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 funny ways mm. but, but a lot of research needs to be done into this this is sort of a we get into the realms of me theorizing i, here, I think but. it's quite it's quite a good start what's, what's the big lesson right right now you know from what what we know so far for investors i mean what what should investors do to manage these these kind of these kind of very fundamental things going on inside their body in their brain well i think the first thing is is you're not as smart as you think you are so um you know and the best thing is is to plan ahead for an emotional reaction i mean we all know it's a bad idea to buy or sell a, a stock or make a decision when you're when you're stressed when you're wound up um and that's again that's been shown in the brain i mean if, if people take beta blockers because beta waves are more prevalent in the brain um, when you know when you're stressed, but actually there is a there is a zone where you get the right blend of of, of the more um, of the more uh, of the less the lower frequency alpha waves, which which are useful for relaxation. I mean, you have too many of those, then then you're basically not really acting acting um, efficiently. But the the right blend of, of alpha and beta waves in your brain, you work with the best level of cognitive function. Um, so investors need to make decisions when they're in the zone so the the best way to make a decision is is uh you know there are things like nootropics out there for traders which probably i wouldn't advise for ICU. these are drugs yeah. these it's are drugs doping for investing well no not for, uh gaming uh <laughs> well it's not juicing it's not it hasn't got a ban juicing for investing no no i'm not i'm not here to promote nootropics i think for investors you you avoid mistakes by planning early um and ahead of time and and and, kind and, of and by and by doing things when you you know when you've had a good night's sleep when you you've had a few you're properly hydrated and you and you're well fed i was going to jokingly say yes you know a, you, a company you own a share you own has had a profit warning you know you, you, your immediate reaction is sell but possibly sometimes the best thing to do is sleep on it possibly but but i think the key the most important thing is is that, you know that the, you you're clued up and or you have some rules in place that, that you know if you do you know, use the, the the 200 day moving average rule or something for selling you know just just have something in place just know that your you know your brain is going to trick you to do things particularly if you're stressed so for a buy and hold investor it's just it's it, as as with a lot of things it's it's just about planning or going on holiday and not even bother looking yeah. at your portfolio yeah <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it is a complicated subject, and uh, I, I think it's probably worth reading the feature to, uh, to 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 really understand some of the processes that are going on here. It it, it is complicated. 
it is very complicated and, and as you say it's a science in its infancy and it's not really been applied to to investing directly no there, there's some of the early um the early studies uh, ha- have looked at this i mean it, it's, it's such a huge area i mean people are people are looking at it first for um uh, for, for dealing with schizophrenia <laughs> Um, the, the the neuroscience as well. There, there's, there's actually, well, that sounds like the stock market. Well, yeah. Well, indeed. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's sort of uh, there sort of seems to have well, a, risk, a full risk on, risk off. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, which seems to swing swing mm. one way to the other from day to day. Yeah. I mean, it's it is markets do sometimes appear to not be able to make their mind up in, in exactly that way. Right. Uh, we are running out of time. Uh, we've spoken about the entire news section. Yeah. which is good because you were here and we could do that. Um, we spoke about the cover feature. There is lots more in the magazine this week, uh, including lots and lots of results. We have Algie Hall updating his momentum screen, uh, which was a joy to put on page last night, very late, because he wrote it twice as long. You can read the twice as long version on the website. Um, lots more in the uh, personal finance and fund section. Has been a good fund manager. Um, I suspect there's some cognitive biases going on in that process too. Interesting, uh, an interesting piece about the LISA, the lifetime ISA, which... Um, it's an interesting uh, alternative or uh, addition to, to your uh, pension earnings capability. Lots in the comments section, uh, as per usual, including the latest No Free Lunch, looking at Wreckit Benkisser. I must admit I found this article truly shocking in terms of what Wreckit Benkisser has found itself involved in recently. And uh, yeah, wonderful. So thank you, Megan. Thank you, James. Pick up the magazine. Free your mind, understand your brain and make better investment decisions. Available in all good news agents for £4.90 uh, or get online and subscribe uh, or get onto iTunes and uh, rate this podcast if you like it. So uh, thank you very much and we'll be back again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>